We good? We alive? We awake? Yes. yes. <laughs> All right. Good deal. Um, man, I am, somebody's really awake. Let's go. Had a couple of espressos this morning. So uh, I'm excited. I feel like God is doing just a ton uh, through our body right now. And uh, there's a lot of like really encouraging and just uh, honestly impactful things that are happening in the life of our church. And so uh, there are so many things going on that it's actually kind of hard to to bring into full picture all the different uh, aspects of what's happening. And so because I don't have a full picture, I'm just going to give you that tease and say God is good. He's doing a lot. All right. Uh, but man, I really think that uh, missionaries being sent, churches being planted, like there are things that God is doing right now to formulate some of that to where uh, Christ can really be made much of, not just in our city, but uh, in the world around us and the in America and the nations. And so it's just really cool uh, to be a part of the family right now. So just want to throw that out there. Um, I'm also really excited, honestly, about this sermon series uh, entitled Justice and Mercy, uh, God's Heart for the Marginalized. And we'll be looking at different uh, people groups or issues or situations upon which there's been uh, a lot of oppression historically and even presently and um, really just being able to try to understand what does it look like, particularly as a believer, to interact with some of these things? How do we uh, understand our influence in these situations in light of the gospel? And so uh, all throughout the scriptures, God is clearly caring about the outcast and the broken and the the, the downhearted and, and God. God is always present with them. And that's an encouraging thing. And so as God's ambassadors and as his uh, representatives, as people who have the ministry of reconciliation, we also should be caring about and really trying to minister to the downcast, the brokenhearted as well, to be agents of redemption along with the Father. And so that's kind of the direction that we'll be going with a lot of this series. And uh, rather than actually tackling holistically, because each of these could probably be a sermon series in and of itself, we just want to give the base. What does it look like for a believer to kind of understand some of these principles? And then how do we respond in light of that? And then hopefully, God kind of stirs up your heart for different issues of of mercy and justice in general and causes you to move in light of that. And so that's where we'll be going today. So uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We will be in Genesis chapter 1. We just can't get out of that book, huh? We just uh, staying in Genesis. So that's where we're going to begin today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, the ushers are going to uh, come forward now and uh, give you some. Please feel free to just slip your hand up as they pass by, and they can uh, pass you a Bible. Um, and if you do not own a Bible, would you please take and keep that? That's our gift to you. We want you to have the word to be able to read it and use it during the week. And so, um, yeah, we'll be doing that. You can also follow along on your smartphone if you wish. If you have the Version app underneath the tab section, uh, click on events, type in the well Austin. You can follow along that way. You can also take this link and put it right into your browser and you can follow along that way as well. Uh, man, we just want your eyes on the word, okay? And so whatever way that looks like, whatever uh, means by which you are doing that, we want you to see that we're not making this up, particularly, if I'm honest, when it comes to issues like this. Like, we want you to see that the scriptures are not ignorant, nor are they silent to different issues that we'll be talking about throughout this series. And so today, We'll be looking at the idea of racial reconciliation, all right? And it's an issue that we have either probably thought about and maybe even some of us have kind of interacted within that a little bit or maybe because of fear or inability to know how to dive into some of these topics. Maybe we uh, don't know really how to uh, bridge the gap and how to jump in, but a lot of us have probably had some sort of inclination and some sort of feeling of, hey, what do I do with this issue? Because it is an issue that is clearly impacting 
shaping our culture around us. And so race and culture and really how does the gospel kind of influence and, and motivate our understanding on these issues? Like, like how do we understand these issues in light of the gospel? As Christians, we are a people who always operate under the influence of the gospel. As Tim Keller said, we do not graduate from the gospel, but we grow into the gospel. And so the gospel doesn't just save us and bring us into relationship with God, but it also continues to do that work, and it will one day bring us into him eternally. And so the gospel, in other words, doesn't just justify us, make us right with God, but the gospel also sanctifies us, and it will glorify us. And so because the gospel is holistic, because we don't graduate from it, then that means that the gospel is supposed to influence every area of our lives, this area being one of them. And so do we understand how to maneuver around this sensitive issue in light of the gospel? Because of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, like the person and work of Christ, do we understand how it impacts some of these areas? Because a lot of us, even if we don't even fully understand, we actually know that the gospel impacts different areas of our lives, even if we don't use that particular language. Like if I were to ask, hey, how does the gospel impact humanity as a whole? A lot of us would probably be able to say, well, Jesus became a man to redeem mankind. Like he was born of a virgin, a, of a woman who, who is a human, right? Like, like Christ came down into humanity to restore humanity. And we would have a, at least a loose understanding about the gospel and, and its influences there. Or maybe we get more practical. We say something like marriage. How does the gospel impact marriage? Well, a lot of us would probably have a loose understanding of the influences of the gospel in marriage. We say that Christ is the perfect picture of the groom, of the husband. And as a perfect picture, he dies for his bride. He lays down his life for his bride. He does what it takes to make sure she feels loved and whole and built up. And the woman represents the, the perfect church, the, the glorified church, and, and she is on team with, with her husband and, and builds him up as well. And really marriage is nothing more than a picture of the other person laying down their life that they may build up the other person. And we know that literally because Christ was our perfect picture of that right? Like Christ showed us how we should think about marriage because he himself is the perfect groom. And so if I were to say, you know, like really in marriage, like, like the husband is supposed to kind of come home, had a hard day work, and the wife's supposed to like make him food, and he's just supposed to lay back and eat potato chips and watch football, like none of us would say amen to that, right? Uh-oh. Do we got to change the sermon up mid-preach, right? Like, like, no, like we know that, right? Because the gospel actually influences us. It, it shows us that there's something different here. And so uh, we understand these implications at least a little bit. And so we ought to ask, do we understand them in light of all things like racial reconciliation? Do we understand how the gospel, the person and work of Jesus, actually influences us in this? Could we be able to begin to explain the person and work of Christ without sounding strange or offensive because we actually understand what he did to really bring forth unity that was not there before the cross of Christ. And so here's what I think. Because many of us are not personally impacted in deep, deep ways that we don't really have a good framework around which to, to work this issue out as a whole. We don't 
fully think about what the gospel has to say to us in regards to race. And therefore, we cannot begin to create reconciliation because reconciliation, in order for it to be true reconciliation, means that the offended party has to be made whole. And so as we then understand where does wholeness come from, that only comes from the person and work of Christ. And if we do not have an understanding of the gospel here, then it's really hard to do reconciliation in its entirety. And so ultimately, we kind of have to have a conversation that's rooted around the gospel and in the scriptures about this issue. See, we're good with marriage because even if it doesn't impact us, like even if we're single, we still like want to get married, right? And so we at least have these loose understandings and, and we try to walk toward that a little bit. But, but what about this issue? Right? Like, like, do we understand how to move in light of the gospel? And so here's one of the hardest things about this topic for me, if I'm transparent and honest here. One of the hardest things is that the church, the, the, the American, the Christian church, has in a lot of ways taken the exact same rhetoric as the world, which is, let's just all get along. Right? Doesn't matter if you're black or white. Right? We sing. And it kind of is like, yeah, like we don't, we don't really see race or, or whatever it may be. Let, let's, let's just all get along. And what happens is, is we actually ignore past hurts and we ignore uh, 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 something that I would even say isn't fully true because ultimately what we often do in those times is we sort of try to bring forth assimilation rather than something that in my mind is far more beautiful that the scripture lays out. And so we take the same rhetoric of why can't we just get along? It's 2017 as if that means something. <laughs> Right? As if all of a sudden we have accumulated past all of human history, which this has been a problem all the way back from the beginning. Now all of a sudden we're so wise that we get it. Let's just all get along. Right? And we end up taking the same rhetoric, but I don't think that's what scripture lays out. And so Genesis chapter 1 is where we'll pick up here. And we're going to just read verse 27 there. You're familiar with this verse, and we'll probably cover it a couple more times during the series. But Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Every person has the same value, right? Yes, amen, hallelujah, we would say that. No matter our skin color or our origin or our culture, we all have the same value. But are we actually all the same? Are we actually all the same, right? Like, like the person who says, I don't see color, are you blind, <laughs> right? Because if not, are you actually within that comment destroying something that God has set up that actually shows the beauty of who he is without us even realizing it? And so I think we have to really ask, like, like is it true that we're all the same? The reason I pull that verse out is because God created man and women, right? Now, do they have the same value? Yes, amen, hallelujah, we would all agree to that, but are they the same? I mean, I would argue not. In fact, I would go as far to say that it's the differences between men and women that actually coming together brings forth the beauty and the fullness of God. Men and women each represent different aspects of God, and as they come together in unity, and in beauty is actually when we see the fullness of God displayed. When we are separated, when we try to build one up over the other, we actually destroy the Imago Dei. But when we recognize that God has made both beautiful in different ways, then all of a sudden we are able to see the fullness of God as we come together, celebrating our diversity, but unified nonetheless. Men and women are different. 
Same value, but, but different, right? And so then we have to ask this same thing. What about race? Like, like, can we just ignore skin color? Or can we just ignore tongue or tribe or culture or nation and just get away with it? Because I would argue in a very similar way that just as God created man and woman, he also created our cultures to display the beauty of him. So is the American culture and the Japanese culture, are they really the same? Like, can we just all get along, right? Is the black culture in America and the white culture in America really the same? Like, like can we just kind of throw that under the bucket? And so as a church, instead of fighting for unity within our diversity, what we are often fighting for is assimilation. Let's just all be the same. And we're completely destroying something that I would argue is a gospel issue. In fact, one of the most beautiful things about the gospel when we try to assimilate, we're actually destroying because it's within our differences that the fullness of God is magnified and displayed. You tracking with that? And so as we understand that, as we actually celebrate that, and as we learn to celebrate that, then we actually see the beauty and the fullness of God. When we just fight for assimilation, let's just all get along, brother, sister, right? We actually ignore a lot of the past hurts and assimilate into what? Into whose culture? Into, into what type of setting? And we just ignore some of that. Ultimately, honestly, this just doesn't work, right? Like, like it's hard to do. And so even me personally, like just some of my own stories, just to, to draw you in a little bit and say, man, assimilation is really, really hard, right? When I was working at Hill Country several uh, years ago, I was coming back from playing basketball. We played on Monday nights at 8 p.m. And so it's like 1130 at night. I'm driving back and I'm going through a speed trap and I know it's a speed trap. And I'm going through it, and I'm just, like, whipping. And I was bumping some Lecrae, honestly. I remember very distinctly. So I'm just, like, driving, right? All of a sudden, I see the taillights. I'm like, oh, gosh, the cop lights. And so I pull over, pull over into a church, ironically. And the cop comes out and license registration. I give it to him. He goes back to the car, and I'm like, dog, I cannot afford a ticket, right? Newly married. We were already thinking about, uh, or no, we weren't newly married. We were thinking about church, planting a church. And I was like, oh, this is just going to be terrible, you know. And so he comes back, and he says, uh, get out the car. I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, like, what? For what? He was like, get out the car, sir. So I don't want to get shot, so I get out the car, right? And I walk out, and he says, apparently, you don't know how to show respect for authority. And I was like, okay, uh, what? What? <laughs> right? Like, what is, what is happening here? And he said, apparently, you don't know how to show respect for authority. I said, I don't know what you mean, sir. He said, you've been pulled over five times for speeding in the past two years. And I was like, no, I, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. He was like, are you calling me a liar? So are you calling me a liar? <laughs> right? Like, I have not. And he was like, yes, you have. And I'm sitting here, I'm trying to think, like, am I just, like, tripping? <laughs> you know? Like, like, have I been without realizing it? And I said, sir, I'm really sorry. I haven't been. And he says, come back to the car. So I go back to the car. He pulls out my little record. And it shows I've been pulled over five times. And I start realizing, oh, like, no, no this, this one was because I had a busted taillight. Didn't know it. This one was because my license plate was in the dashboard. I didn't know it had to be nailed to the front of the car, right? Like, like there were all these different issues. So, yes, I had been pulled over, but all of them were warnings. None of them were me being, like, disrespectful. And he said, no, you're lying. I said, sir, the last time I was pulled over was May 14th, 2010. He was like, how do you know that? I said, because it was the day before my wedding. <laughs> and he was like, well, I'm the one that pulled you over. And I was like, that's nice. <laughs> Right? Like, I have not been pulled over, you know? And so we're sitting here, we're having this conversation, and I'm talking to them, and, and literally, I went to go fold my hands. He draws out his gun. Put your hands on the car right now. Right? Now, all of a sudden, what's going through my mind at this moment? My aunt has been shot by a cop, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm about to get shot out here. 
right? And so I put my hand in the car. I said, sir, 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 listen, listen. I'm a pastor. <laughs> like, please don't do this, okay? I'm a pastor of a church. We're in a church parking lot. My hands are on the car, you know. And uh, he says, where are you a pastor at? I said, Hill Country Bible Church. And he said, no, you're not. And I was like, the cuss, <laughs> right? Like, you can tell me that. Yeah, yes, I am. And he said, no, you're not, because I go to Hill Country, and if you were a pastor there, I would know it. I said, how? Hill Country is 4,500 people. Are you saying that because I'm black? Like, that's how you would know I'm the only colored person on staff, right? He said, you can take it however you want to take it. And I said, well, apparently you don't go to church enough, because the last four weeks I've done announcements every week, so you should probably come to church more. That's how black dudes get shot, by the way, <laughs> right? That's what you do not do, okay? But, like, I'm feeling all this, right? Now, is this a situation that maybe protocol was being followed? Maybe I was doing something I shouldn't. I don't know. But, but all of a sudden, when I realized, like, hey, my aunt, right, has got shot. Or my other aunt, she's actually a police officer, and she tells me how they do training for these very situations. And I know that I'm in a danger zone because I'm 6'4", right, and, and could be threatening, you know, you fast forward to even just this past year and my own experiences. I'm walking on UT's campus, and I'm walking past this, this dad and a mom and what looks like probably like a high school senior girl. And they're always walking past, and I nod at them like, hello, you know, even do the white nod, head down, right? And so I'm nodding to them, okay? And they go past, and he says, see, this is why I don't want you to go to this school. It's just filled with nothing but a bunch of coons, All right? I mean, listen. Maybe my man saw a raccoon, I don't know, right? <laughs> but what happens when all of these things in the past and what's happened to me before is flooding my mind? Even just, what was it, last month or six weeks ago or whatever, my wife and I were, were seeing a movie, and they had this uh, scene on before the movie with all these famous people. It's kind of like Clue on a train kind of type thing. Some of y'all might know what I'm talking about. And anyway, they had all these people, and the, the black guy, it said doctor under it, and the guy sitting right next to me went, the black guy, the doctor, yeah, right. And it's like, what am I supposed to do at these moments, right? Okay, now I'm telling PG stories because I don't want to say certain words or offend certain. How do you tell me, hey, just assimilate, brother. Just all get along, right? Just come on in and fit in because all of these stories that I have floating around in my mind and every time something happens, it's hard for me to see clearly, is it not? Can you not sympathize at that moment and say, what does it mean to actually assimilate? Is that what we should be fighting for as believers? Just in the past three weeks, sincerely I mean this, in the past three weeks, I've gotten a text from a former covenant member saying, man, how do I deal with this situation? All this racist stuff keeps coming up and I, I don't know how to deal with it. Somebody that we know and love used to lead worship with us. Like, like what am I supposed to do within all this? And I'm texting them. Had somebody else called the, the N-word at work, right? And, and what is he supposed to do with that situation as, as the, the guy also made a threatening gesture to him? We have somebody in our body who uh, is Hispanic. We're all other Hispanics around him got fired except for him. And it's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, and as you keep going in and all these stories, right, on and on and on and on again, we say assimilation. Like, how does that work? How do we actually do that well? We actually just ignore past hurts and past uh, 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 pains if we say, just come on in. We're all family. We don't see color. Right? That's a hard thing to do. Here's the thing, though. This type of sin, racism, exists because sin exists, 
or whatever you want to call it, ethnocentrism or, 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 or isolationism or racism or whatever word you like to use. Like, like these things exist naturally inside of the human heart because the human heart is wicked. And we cannot get around that. And for us to say, oh, I don't see color or, oh, I'm not racist. I don't care if you're white, black, Hispanic, whatever it may be. You have this in your heart. You have a desire to set yourself up around others around you because outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have to find value somewhere. And if you don't know how to find it in the person and work of Christ, then you are going to find it in the things that you do and in who you are. And a really easy way to do that is by what you look like. Or maybe for you it's not race, but, you know, you have a lot of money and you kind of look down on the person that doesn't have as much as you. Same thing. We have a desire to set ourselves up, okay? The Bible literally opens up with, in my opinion, a show of this very problem. And so in Genesis chapter 4, right after Genesis 1, God's created man and woman. He has placed the image of God in every single individual. We see the fall happen in Genesis 3. And then Genesis 4 goes on, and if you were with us during the sermon series, you know this, that Cain goes and he kills Abel. And then God's going to punish him. He's going to send him out of the land. But before he does, uh, he says, hey, you're going to go amongst the people that you don't really know. And here was Cain's response, verse 13. He says, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground. From your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Cain seems to be afraid that he'll be outside of the safety of his clan or his camp. How in the world will people know that he's a wanderer? How, how will they know that he doesn't just belong in, that he's different? Already by Genesis 4, are clans being set up? Are maybe the way that you dress or the type of music that you like beginning to be so that Cain cannot just enter into a city and, and fit in, but immediately they would realize, no, 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 you're different. And it was so bad that Cain said, if I do that, it's not even that they won't accept me. They will kill me. Already in Genesis 4, we see a possible show and a, a possible sign of this. Does, does Cain talk differently? Does he eat differently? Like what's happening here? This is right after the fall. And already it seems like people are setting themselves up against each other based on what clan or tribe you're in. Now, we can't be 100% sure if that's the first sign of culture or difference in Scripture. But nonetheless, we know it to be true all throughout the Scriptures in general, do we not? Like, we know that, that racism exists all throughout. I mean, the story of Exodus is marked with this, is it not? Pharaoh comes and he enslaves the people that do not look like his people out of fear of them. Hmm. Right? We move on to Assyria and to Babylon, and they are enslaving groups of people that do not look like them. Or what about what the Romans thought about the Jews as the time of Christ comes, the, the lesser people because they were not like them? Or what about God's beloved and chosen culture, the Jews, right? What about what they thought about those dirty, filthy, half-bred Samaritans? So disgusting to them that they couldn't even mention them by name nor use them in examples. They only saw them as trash because they were half-breeds. But we're true Jew. We're actually from Abraham. And they used something that God had orchestrated for means of salvation to promote themselves up around people around them. Literally, this happens all throughout the scriptures. 
We would be blind to not see that this is happening. It's clear that races or cultures or people groups, they, they set themselves up against each other. It's not just a white and a black thing in America, but it's happening right now in India with the caste system. Or it's happening right now in China where if you're not a Han Chinese, you're a minority and all of a sudden you're different. Or it's happening right now in Africa and all throughout the culture of the world, it happened even in the scriptures because there is a problem called sin, friends. We cannot ignore that. We can't say, let's just get along and not look at the problem in the first place. This is a a sin thing. And when people have to try to find justification outside of the Lord, they will find it in any way. I want to repeat that again that we would know that. The reason that this happens is because we try to set ourselves up in some way. And if we don't know how to find our righteousness, our worthiness, our value in Christ, if we don't realize that the king of the world sets us up above the whole creation... If we don't see that, then we'll try to set ourselves up, and we'll do it in any way that we can. Culture is just one of them. Race is just one of them. Our socioeconomic status is just one of them. Our jobs are just one of them. And all of a sudden, we realize we create these false gods to try to make ourselves feel better because we don't know how to find it in the gospel. And this is what happens. And even for the believer, this happens in our heart as we wrestle with our flesh that we have the propensity to look down upon somebody because they don't think, act, talk, or look like we do. And we don't know what to do with it if we don't know that sin itself is the issue. But this wasn't how it was supposed to be. If you keep tracking through Genesis in chapter 12, God brings this promise to Abraham. This is one of the most important uh, uh, references in all of Scripture. But look at what God actually said in verse 2. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham was to be a blessing from the nation. God, immediately at the very beginning of the redemption story, says, I want all peoples to come to me. In fact, I'm going to use you, Abraham. It's going to be through you that actually all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This was God's original plan. As we fast forward, we see the plan taking place even when Solomon dedicated the temple in the middle of, the, of Israel's defining moment, the, the pinnacle moment of Israel. He says this prayer and he says that this would be a place that the Gentiles would come and find redemption and see the name of Yahweh. That they would be saved. All throughout we see God is a God not just of the Jews or a people group, but of the nations as a whole. That God desires all people to come into the knowledge of him. Why? Because all of us have been created in the image of God. Listen, friends, you have intrinsic value because you are created by a divine God who loves you. This is a beautiful truth. This is the truth that we have to allow resonate in our souls because if not, then we'll try to set ourselves up in some other way, shape, or form. And we can't do that. All throughout the scriptures, we see God trying to draw people into the gospel. So do we understand how to walk through reconciliation? We see the problem of sin, but, but what does the gospel tell us about this issue as a whole? We see that saying, oh, let's just all get along. That, that doesn't work. But, but is there a way? And scriptures scream at us, yes, there is a way, right? How do we tackle this in light of the gospel? How would we change our mindset? Well, a lot of you are familiar with Ephesians chapter 2. In fact, we covered it real quick last week. 
The beauty of Ephesians 2 is magnificent, where at the very beginning it says all of us are sinners, right? All of us have, have done wicked things. We've, we've set ourselves against God. Some of us are, are too prideful to recognize our own sin. Some of us feel so beaten up over it we don't know what to do. But all of us are in sin, but God being rich in mercy, bless, bless, bless the Lamb of God, <laughs> that he is rich in mercy to us. It says that he bestowed his love, and while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He, he loved us, and it is by grace through faith that you have been saved. That if you call upon Jesus, you don't have to clean yourself up or, or look a certain way, but God gives you grace because he loves you. And God prepared a good work for us, it says. And so we see our vertical relationship with God being restored in the personal work of Christ, hallelujah, throughout the first 10 verses. But what about verses 11 through 22? Well, it actually shows us a different sort of reconciliation as well. If you go there, chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, he says this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility... The Berlin Wall that was set up between the Jew and the Gentile has been smashed down at the cross of Christ. Now, because of the person and work of Jesus, your vertical relationship with God is not the only thing that can be restored. Your horizontal relationship with man can also now be restored because of Christ. See, that the fall, we were separated from God. Yes, we know this. And, and through Christ, we have redemption. But at the fall, we were also separated from man. Adam blames Eve right? Eve leads her husband into sin. Adam is passive and doesn't do anything about it. And we see this war going on immediately. Sin has not just fractured this, but it has also fractured this. But the gospel tells us that this can be reconciled through Christ. Look, look at it though, but, but so can this, right? Our horizontal relationship with each other can be restored. This is good news, friends. This is gospel news that no longer does there have to be a dividing wall of hostility, but we can be unified in Christ. Not only did Christ bring us back to God, he brought us back to each other. Paul goes on in, in his sister letter in Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3. You can turn there in verse 10. He says this. He says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the, what's that word there? What is it? Okay. Does that word sound familiar? Why does Paul choose to use that word? Because of Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. We are being renewed in the imago Dei, in the, the image of our creator. Here there is neither Jew or Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all, right? Like in Christ, because of Jesus, God is bringing us back to our original design, the way that we were meant to be. Because of the gospel of Jesus, we can now be unified in the way that he originally attended it. But we're still different, right? There's still Jew and Greek, there's still Cynthia and Barbarian. There's still slave-free. There's still man and female, yes, but yet now all are one and in one because of Christ, Paul says. This is a profound truth. Listen, listen. The gospel unites us in ways that nothing else can because the gospel is the answer for the problem of sin, and this is a sin issue, 
not just a cultural issue. And the gospel actually brings forth the, the beauty of redemption here. Our souls crave more. They crave to be better than. And if we don't find our better than in Jesus, then we'll just pit ourselves against each other. But if we find our better than than Jesus, then all of a sudden we begin to be elevated. The gospel, friends, changes everything. Well, we could put it like this. This will be on the screen too. It says, the gospel destroys our need for self-exaltation, yet at the same time gives us more confidence than we could ever imagine because we are his. The only person that actually has glory innate within him desires to share that glory with you, friends. You can be reconciled. And then the scriptures go on and it ends like this in Revelation chapter 7. If you see what we did, we wanted to start in Genesis and go to Revelation and show how this is an issue all the way throughout, right? Revelation chapter 7, John is seeing a picture of the kingdom, of the end of the world, of what it will look like through eternity. And he says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. Now, see, when we got to heaven, God could have just made us all Jews, couldn't have he? Is that beyond God, right? Or maybe it would be easier in our mind, like, like God could have made us not have a race or a language or a culture, like kind of like the angels, right? Like he could have taken away race. He could have taken away culture. But he doesn't. Friends, do you see the mystery of the, of the gospel even within this? God actually leaves our tongues, tribes, cultures, nations. Why? Because this is something that displays his beauty. Friends, just as male and female together show off the beauty of Christ, so does black, Hispanic, Asian, and white. So does the tongues, tribes, nations, and cultures. When we all come together, we reveal something about God that apart from one another, we cannot reveal naturally. And so God desires for all people to come together that he may be exalted, that he may be glorified, and it's together that we are able to do that. When all the tongues and nations and tribes and cultures show off the glory of our king, he looks awesome. And that's how he should look. And that's what we get to do in our cultures. See, my mom's black, my dad's white. They got divorced when I was eight. And they went into the black culture and into the white culture, like, 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 like hyper, okay? Like stereotypical, whatever you think of. So when I was uh, eight, all the way up to like 15, inside the white culture, I would go with my white grandparents and we would go camping out in the woods. And we would play around in the river. And guess how many other black kids I saw playing around in the river out there? Zero, right? Like, it's okay to laugh. The black people are laughing, right? Like, we know. That's just not a culture. Like, we normally don't really do that. But I would go with my dad the very next weekend, and we would have this barbecue, and we would be a family gathering, a family reunion, and, like, I would have cousins come in that I had never seen before, never saw after that. They were like, hey, right? And they're eating, enjoying, right, different cultures, okay? Is God a God of creation? Does he love the woods and the wilderness? He created it. Is God a God of party? Come on, anybody, come on in, come on into the family. Don't you remember the parable that that's what the kingdom of God looks like? 
come on in off the streets, come on in, right? All of a sudden, these two cultures, which are very, very, very different, are showing different aspects of God. Is God meek and mild and humble like some cultures tend to operate? Well, yes, Jesus Christ himself was meek and humble and mild. And so that culture shows us something about God. Is God loud and boisterous and does he dance over us? Yes, he does. Zephaniah 3 says he dances over us with loud singing and with loud shouting. Like like all these cultures coming together, they show us something about God that apart from each other we would not be able to see. This is a beautiful thing. We don't have to all get along. We actually have to look to one another and try to highlight and elevate literally the natural Imago Dei that is inside of every one of us. And only when we do that will we actually solve the problem because then we won't be setting ourselves up against each other, but we will recognize God in his mercy and in his goodness has laid out a plan that will show the beauty of who he is. Friends, this is a gospel issue. This is a good issue. So all of a sudden, when we get into our church, like, we have the opportunity to do that. And so Tommy, the cowboy, will meet KC, the Christian rap fiend. And they'll get to come together and be able to be, like, encouraged in one another, even though their cultures are just really, really different. They'll see the fullness of God if they humbly submit to one another. Right? All of a sudden, Huli, whose life is like a fiesta, works on the same staff team with Christy, who's meek and mild, and they love each other, and they draw out something different about God that we need. Huli can't even be quiet now because I mentioned her. It's a fiesta. Right? <laughs> right? All of a sudden, Clement, the programmer, meets Caleb, the artist, and these two worlds tend to clash, but no, 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 they actually show us something about God. Or Tori, the awesome athlete, meets Jake, the little tiny white guy, right? I'm totally kidding, right? He's not, he's not even an elder anymore. I'm still making fun of him, right? But, okay, when you naturally just kind of worship like this, bless the Lord, oh my soul, right? Does that not show us something about God? Like when it's kicking, you're like, oh my soul. Like that shows us something about God, right? And when you want to black clap and dance all over the place, I hear you over here, by the way. Man, open up, right? Teach us something about God. These things show us the glory of God, friends, do they not? Like, this is a beautiful thing. And so race, class, culture, tribe, people, group, we get the opportunity to show God to each other. Show them. Show them to each other. Let us see the beauty of the gospel in our distinctiveness, in our differences. Let us show forth the beauty and glory of God. Okay? Real quick, I want to wrap this up. How do we do this? Amen. Praise the Lord for doing that, right? Real quick, three quick points. How do we do that? Number one, become a learner. Okay? Be ignorant. All right? Ask questions. You don't know. Okay? I don't understand what this is like. This is a good thing. When I first got saved, I got saved into what we would stereotypically call a black church, all right? We were loud, boisterous, running around, yelling, preaching along. That's why I'm doing that today, all right? And literally then I went to college and went into a white church. And the first, like, month and a half, I hated it. I was like, these people don't love Jesus. (laughs) There ain't no spirit in this joint, right? Like, how do we do this, okay? And for real, I had kind of set myself up against him because I thought my way of doing things was superior. Then I was humble, I became a learner, and I started listening and asking questions. And all of a sudden I realized, yikes, these people deeply love Jesus. And they began to show me aspects of God that if I had only been in the black church, I wouldn't have seen. 
Now, all of a sudden, I'm seeing more of the image of God through their culture. Are you catching it, friends? Right? Be a learner. This is a good thing. Two, make friends with people that are not like you. Okay? Look around the room. This is really easy to do. Even in homogenous Austin, Texas, right? Like we are a very homogenous culture. Even here, even in this room, we are displaying the distinctiveness of God. Do you know that there are more mixed-race marriages than same-race marriages amongst covenant members in this church? That is freaking awesome. Why? Because we'll have mixed kids, and mixed kids are the best-looking kids, right? So, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. But we really do see, all right, the fullness of God, right? In Todd's evangelism training that Todd's doing, when I went with him once, we went out to uh, go share with somebody, knocked on the door, and it was an Iranian man, or Iraqi man, sorry. And so we start talking with him, and listen, friends, he invited me into his home. He made all his kids get off of, like, the nice furniture, told us to sit on the nice furniture, cleaned up stuff. His wife brought out the fine china and gave us drink in it. Then he started making dinner for us, even though we weren't going to stay that long, pulled out the best meat, started trying to make dinner, and literally tried to be as hospitable as humanly possible. And this man did not know Jesus Christ. Now, the scriptures command me to be hospitable, but because I'm American, I think hospitable is, hey, you want a cup of water? <laughs> and I feel like I'm being hospitable. You're in my house drinking my water, right? <laughs> Hospitality. But no, aren't they showing me something about God? Because he doesn't just give us water. He gives us his kingdom. And that man was trying to give me his house and didn't even know me or the Lord. He challenged me. He convicted me because my culture is not a hospitable culture. But his is. And he showed me something about God through it. Together, we see. And so make friends with people that aren't like you. You'll start seeing God in different ways that you've never seen before. Three, finally, stand up when you see a wrong. Okay? When you see a wrong, stand up and fight for those people. Because they're your brothers and sisters in Christ, friends. Right? Christians should stand for truth whether the culture likes it or not. And in this issue, the culture kind of agrees with us here. But we have to stand up in general at injustice, not just the injustice that we don't kind of like, but injustice holistically. And so even if this is an issue that doesn't naturally kind of spew out of you, you should still stand up when you see a wrong and protect and love and come around these people because isn't that what Jesus did for us? Isn't Jesus our ultimate example and substitute in this very area? Christ saw a wrong and he comes down onto earth and he begins to make friends with people that are not like him. Like, you know, God is divine and we are human. Yet the divine becomes humanity that he may bring us up, that he may reconcile us, recreate the Imago Dei within us. Jesus does this. This is a gospel thing. And he begins to stand up when he sees a wrong. So when the Gentiles aren't able to worship, he flips over tables and said, this is not right, right? Because he wants people to understand, to get it, to be able to worship God. And so Christ is our perfect example. And listen, friends, he's our substitute. So that when we mess up, we have a God who forgives us. And because he's our substitute, when we mess up, we should be a people who forgive each other. It's so easy, particularly, listen, if you're a person of color in here, it's so easy to set yourself up against because you've been hurt. But Christ himself was the offended party, and he gave his life that the people who are hurting him may become whole and reconciled. You have to lead the way a lot of times. Do it. 
because this is a reconciliation issue, friends. And we have the opportunity to be a people that display this unlike anybody else in the world. Everybody fights for it. Who actually does it? We get the opportunity to do it, friends, and Christ is our example for us. So let us be a people who do that by displaying the fullness of God, not in assimilation, but in fighting for unity within our diversity. I love you guys. Let's pray. Christ, thank you. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness and for your mercy and for your grace, God. Dang, your grace. God, I know that for some of us, we don't even know you. We're still wrestling with whether or not you are God. And I pray that we would be reconciled to the most important relationship, which is us and you. And that even today, those of us who do not know you would call you king and Lord. That we would repent of our sins and of the way we try to set ourselves up or our thought that we don't need you, that we would come to you by grace. Friends, if that is you today, you can enter into a relationship with a God who will change everything. All you have to do is believe upon him. God, I also pray for those of us who are believers that we would repent of our sins as well. The ways that we've tried to set ourselves up or show, we know what we're talking about. We're educated in this issue. We, we know how to handle this and, and yet forsake the gospel in the midst of it. God, I pray that we would be a people that display the beauty of who you are and the fullness of who you are by fighting for unity, Christ, as you prayed over and over again. God, let us be unified. Let this be something that magnifies your name, Jesus. God, I pray you would make this church more and more and more diverse, not just with race, tongue, culture, but with age and with socioeconomic status and with personality and that we would be able to live together to see the beauty of who you are, Jesus. Praise in your beloved name. Amen.